Hello and welcome to I Want to Like You, a weekly podcast from Real Simple about how to handle the irritating people in your life with goodwill and grace. I'm Kristen Van Ochtrop. I'm the editor of Real Simple. And with me today are Dr. Ted Klontz, a behavioral consultant, the co-founder of Your Mental Wealth and the Financial Psychology Institute, and the author of six books, including Mind Over Money, and Jody R.R. Smith, who has been a guest on this podcast a couple of times. Lucky me. She is the founder of Mannersmith Etiquette Consulting in Boston, and she's the author of From Clueless to Class Act, which is a book series. And, Jody, you have a new one about to come out, right? Yep. The second editions have just come out in the Clueless to Class Act. So if you have people who are going back to school, just graduate from college, you're good to go with this as a gift. Okay. So any of you out there who feel clueless, I'm raising my hand here. Jody's got <laughs> some help for you. But the clueless thing we're going to talk about today is cheapskates. Now, when I was talking about this podcast topic with my assistant, Anne, she and I share many of the same views on people we find irritating. She said, oh, alligator arms. And she did this little thing with her hands. She kind of put her hands to her side and flipped them like little alligator arms. And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, you know, alligator arms, people who can't, you know, when the check comes or it's time to pay for something, they can't actually reach out. For, for the check. Or, and I'd never heard that expression before. And I thought it was such a funny visual. So I learned, I've learned, that's the first thing I've learned about cheapskates that some people, including Anne, think of them as alligator arms. But Ted, I want to start with you because you sent me a fantastic email yesterday with a lot of thinking about cheapskates. And, you know, the, this is obviously your area of expertise, not mine. And I was reminded by your email of something that I'm reminded of frequently in this podcast, which is, you know, people who are irritating if you like walk a mile in their shoes, you begin to understand that their behavior is actually not meant to irritate you. It comes from kind of a deeper place. So can you make me feel more human <laughs> and talk for a little bit about, you know, what you think of when you hear the word cheapskate and, you know, where that, where that comes from in that person? When anybody is, uh, when we characterize anybody as anything, like a cheapskate or they're miserly or they're selfish or whatever, I, I sort of coil up on the inside because what I'm hearing is a judgment. And it, it's a bias or an opinion or whatever it is. And I'm not really looking at them. I'm sort of focusing on their behavior. Mm -hmm. And my experience is that those behaviors come from somewhere. There's a story there. And one of the ways that I can make them more human would be to hear their story. We wrote a book called The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge. And you know, at the beginning, of course, he's a scourge. But if you listen to his story, if you look back into his story, his behaviors make perfect sense uh, going forward. And, and my experience has been, if I can hear their story, if I can understand their story, actually their behavior changes. Okay, so the Ebenezer Scrooge example is so interesting. And, you know, it's part of what makes that such a powerful story, right? But right. what if you're not a psychologist... What if you're just a person who has a relationship with someone, whether it's, you know, a fairly casual relationship like a coworker or a good friend, and you find that person's, for lack of a better, kinder word, cheapskate behavior really difficult to deal with? How do you – what if you don't know their story? What if you don't have access to their story? You know what I mean? Like, um, Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think that you have to know the story, but just to know that there is a story – is helpful. And I think, and, and maybe this is more into the bailiwick of our other guests, but 
Mm. The idea would be uh, for me to set the expectations ahead of time. I have this little formula that I use. It's UE, which is unexpressed expectations equal premeditated resentments, which is the PR. So UE equal PR. And, and what I found is if it's a, a, a problematic thing, for example, there are people that I'll go to lunch with and they'll talk the entire time. And there's never a time for me, except that at the end they go, oh, I haven't heard anything from you. So what are we going to do? So, um, <laughs> and, that, and it always happens that way, right? And yeah. I, it sort of falls into that same. And we could, we could call them names too. But for me to say, you know, when we go to lunch, how about we both take turns? I'll talk for 15 minutes, you talk for 15 minutes, and then we'll take the other 15 minutes to sort of chat. And, and that way, it, it's sort of addressing the issue without calling them out, going, I have to do this because you never shut your mouth. So I love UE equals PR. Unexpressed expectations equals premeditated resentment. So in other words, if you, and we can probably apply this to many, many, as you just have situations in our lives, if you let the E out, you eliminate the R, basically, right? Although some of us really like being resentful. So, uh, and we, ha- and we, we make stuff up. We make stuff up like, well, if they were really the kind of person that they should be, why should I have to say what I want? You know, all those kinds of things. I, I feel guilty. Can I just say for the record now, I feel guilty using the word cheapskate because I feel like it's bad. <laughs> um, but, Ted, I don't know what else to say. How else do I say cheapskate in a way that's not really unkind? Is there another word I can use? <laughs> to describe the behavior and to, you know, what I ask people to do is, okay, so, so what is it that's irritating about the behavior? And it depends on who I'm talking to about that. You know, I can sort of, I can sort of with trusted people, like you were talking with your husband or my wife, mm-hmm. I, might, I might say, what a cheapskate. But, you know, that, that's, that's really something that I would never repeat outside of that. Uh, right. I would look at the behavior and try to focus on what the behavior is. Okay, so... So, Jody, for our purposes, when you are, say, dining out with someone who is socially oblivious when it comes to how much they should be contributing to the meal, let's put it that way, do you have any tricks or, as I said, I did like Ted's, you know, you you express your expectations at the beginning. Are there any other things you can do? Like if you don't say express your expectations at the beginning and, and, for example, suggest you go Dutch are there other ways that in, a, in polite society you can handle this? Absolutely. I like what Ted is doing because he's really talking about the behaviors, and that's what this is really all about. And so the first time you're dining out with somebody who happens to be excruciatingly frugal, so they're figuring out how to divide the tip to the penny based on what your entree costs. Now you have this information so that the next time you go out with this person, you can do a couple of things ahead of time. So if I know I'm going to be dining out with somebody who's on a tight budget, and that could be for a wide range of reasons. They might have grown up really poor. They might be going through a tough time financially right now, or they might just be someone who's really frugal. It does not matter the cause of the behavior. What Mm -hmm. I know is how the behavior impacts my interaction with them. So if I know that this person is a very frugal person, I'm going to choose a restaurant that is a little less on the pricey side so Mm -hmm. that they're going to be able to find something that accommodates their particular budget. And when we sit down, I'm going to tell the wait staff, is it all right for us, and I'm doing this when we're ordering, is it all right for us to have separate checks? So you say that not to the waiter. You say that to your companion. No, to the waitress or waiter. Do you clear it with the other person first? 
Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Because mm-hmm. if I try to clear it with the person ahead of time, then it brings up as a topic of conversation as to why I would want separate checks. And then that would only point to their frugal behavior, which might not be something that if I'm dining with a coworker or somebody who I'm just starting to establish a friendship with, that I'm ready to discuss at this point. Mm-hmm. And the wait staff, the vast majority of places that I've been, and I've been all over the country, around the world, as long as you tell them when you're ordering that you need separate checks, they're happy to accommodate you. And what, when I work with serving staff, what they will tell you is they know that they will get a better tip when the bills are individualized than when they're grouped together. So unless their computer system is something very wonky, they are happy to do the separate bills as long as you tell them when you're ordering your food. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. I didn't know that about wait staff. So I just in terms just because of math, they get a better tip if if yes. it comes from two separate checks. Yep. The oh. more people that are at a table, the more likely it is that they're going to be under tipped, which is why a lot of establishments, if you have six or more people, they automatically include an eighteen or twenty percent gratuity. Because yeah. they know the wait staff is going to be underpaid and here in the United States, that's critical because they don't have to pay the serving staff the minimum wage because the presumption is that they're going to make at least a minimum wage based on tips. Right. So we have a, a, an odd cobbled together system. So I know that ahead of time. So when mm. I know I'm going to be dealing with a frugal person, I'm going to do whatever I can do preemptively to make it easier. So mm-hmm. maybe if we're buying a wedding gift for a college friend who's getting married and we decide to do a group gift, mm-hmm. I know that this person isn't going to be able to pay as much but maybe there's other little things that they can do. Maybe they have a membership to one of the discount clubs, and so they can go and pick up the large screen TV that we're giving as the wedding gift. And Mm -hmm. so part of their gift is not necessarily just the cash, but also going to the wholesale club, picking it up, getting it wrapped, and delivering it to our friends for the wedding. So you figure out ways to accommodate. A relationship is not solely about the money, Mm -hmm. so you figure out ways to accommodate it. All right, so I want to I want to take that example actually of the wedding gift, yeah, and bring Ted back in here. So I, I'm just so fascinated, as you know, as I said earlier, with in every area of life, this makes relations better, right? When you understand someone's backstory. So, say you are you have a dear friend or family member or someone that you're close to, um, or maybe not even that close to, who is very frugal to an extreme degree, right? And you want to do some kind of group purchase that includes this person. And you happen to know, for example, like like buy a really nice wedding gift for a dear mutual friend or send your parents on an amazing, you know, special anniversary trip or like some some really sweet gesture and you want to split it equally. But and, and it's important to you that it's, um, it's a really nice gift for the recipient. And then the person you're dealing with, though, doesn't want to make the gift that nice. But you happen to know, because you know this person, that they can actually afford it. They just don't want to spend the money. How do you handle a situation like that? A couple things I would say. I heard a lot of, you want this and you want that. And, and I think I would start at the beginning and to say our parents' anniversary, we'd like to do something very, very special. Um, let's all get together and talk about, you know, what, what, our, what the dream might be. 
and to, mm-hmm. and to get them involved in the very beginning as opposed to say, hey, we've decided to send our parents on a cruise. This is how much it's going to cost. Our expectation is everybody's going to ante up and, and do it equally. The thing that's so interesting about what Ted is saying is very true that looks are incredibly deceiving, that just because somebody has a big house or a fancy car does not mean that they can financially contribute what you presume that they can contribute to a group gift. There are many mm-hmm. people who live excruciatingly beyond their means or people who their visible wealth, such as their house or their car, has been gifted to them by other people in their family. So it looks like they have more disposable income, but the fact of the matter is they may not have as much as you think they have. So right. to echo what Ted said, by asking somebody, we're thinking about doing this as a gift, how much would you feel comfortable in contributing? That then gives you an idea of what their budget is for a particular mm-hmm. gift. And I have to add in what my grandmother always says, which is you cannot spend other people's money for them. So we might want them to contribute, but we can only have control over our own cash flow. Well, and, and you know, I think that 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 – Maybe you need to let go of the concept of quote unquote fair. You know, I think I think an, a subtext here of a lot of my questions is about spending money with other people is what's quote unquote fair, right? And maybe you decide that even if it's not fair, that if you want to send your parents on a trip and not everyone contributes equally, but you, the trip's really important to you. You contribute more because the trip's really important to you, and you let go of what, what you think is fair or not fair. That's a wonderful way of doing it. The other, the other way to think about this is if you really want to give your parents the trip, you give your parents the trip and then let the sibling who didn't want to spend as much give them an excursion or a fancy mm-hmm. dinner. So you're mm-hmm. both contributing to the present as a total, but mm-hmm. you're contributing what's equivalent and what's, what's going to feel comfortable for each of you. So I've got a question for both of you. In your experience, both Jody from an etiquette perspective and Ted from a psychological perspective, where does this kind of thing tend to create the stickiest situations? Is it like dining out? Like where... Where is the most common, where do we have the biggest problems around, I guess, different expectations about spending money? I think the the time that you have the biggest problem, dining out is an easy one because it happens more frequently, but I think anytime you don't have a conversation in advance of Mm -hmm. the situation, whether it's dining out or going on vacation together or getting a gift for somebody, there needs to be that conversation about this is what we're thinking about, this is going to be the approximate budget is that something that's doable by you? If you mm-hmm. avoid the money conversation because you're fearful of what the answer is going to be or you're afraid to bring it up because it's going to be uncomfortable and you wait until the check arrives, the bill comes, that's when it turns into a total disaster and that's when resentment starts to build on both sides. Mm-hmm. Ted, what do you think? And a lot of my experience um, involves gifting like birthdays and Christmases and so on. I mean, those are, those are snake pits. And um, <laughs> it's, it's a very important thing uh, to come at, you know, like Jody was saying, if I'm comfortable giving a gift for a certain amount of money, to not have expectations that that's going to be matched somehow. Right. Um, and I know that many families have managed this by saying, okay, we're going to, you know, the gifts are you know, a limit of X, X number of dollars. I know in my own family, because I have, 
I have adult children who have families. Uh, mm-hmm. The adults decided not to give any of each other adult gifts, but we'll focus it on the children. And mm-hmm. there's a money amount. There's a limit so that everybody has an idea. And so the money doesn't become a part of the issue. So it becomes how creative can one be within that budget, so to speak. And in that way, avoiding a lot of the, well, you know, she got a purse that had to cost $5,000, and I only got a, you know, that probably, you know, that whole thing of comparing it. And as Jody said, the resentments begin to build there when the the expectations are are not expressed. So maybe, maybe the net here is that rather than trying to I don't know, change the behavior of the other person. You have to work on your own expectations, right? Um, yeah, I'm laughing because if, if somebody knew how to change other people's behavior, they would make <laughs> a lot of money. Wait, isn't that why I'm a parent? Isn't that like my job? Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm mostly kidding. I'm mostly kidding. Um, well, ch- children are different than coworkers or friends, but having these conversations in advance. So, for example, I went on vacation to Vegas with a bunch of friends. And we all had differing budgets. And while it would have been really nice for us all to stay in the same hotel, we decided that for the sake of our friendships, that we chose a a section of the strip. And we got different hotels based on our budgets at that same section. So we were close Mm -hmm. by each other. We could get together. We went pool hopping. We went to the different casinos. But everybody was able to spend what they felt comfortable spending without any resentment of being at a hotel that was too expensive or that wasn't nice enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, next time you're going to have to invite Ted along because as someone who's a behavioral consultant around finances, I bet like a week in Las in uh, Las Vegas is a minefield of information, right? <laughs> like not only is it accommodations, but it's gambling and spending money on entertainment and oh my gosh, think of all the things you probably learned about all your friends during that trip, right, Jody? Absolutely. We'll have to do a podcast live from Vegas. <laughs> Okay. Well, so until live from Vegas, I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Jody and Ted, for being here with me. My pleasure. Our producer is Tim Einenkel. Please let us know what you think of this show, I Want to Like You. Our Twitter handle is at Real Simple, or you can tweet ideas for the podcast straight to me at KVanOctrop. The ideas have started to come in, and I really appreciate it. Uh, So please keep them coming. For more on irritating people and how to handle them, go to realsimple.com. And, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. For Dr. Ted Klontz and Jody R.R. Smith, I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop. Thanks for joining us.